Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. As always, we're going to talk about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. And our main topic for today is the MonsterVerse, which just culminated in Godzilla vs. Kong. that junkie excel score he did this one as well yeah wow no this is his first one he didn't do any other ones i just meant because of the snyder verse or the snyder oh yeah 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 yeah. my man wow had a whole stretch of movies on hbo max out of nowhere tell me about it the timing about that uh it was good for, I mean, I can't remember too much about it. Was that actually some of the the theme for the score? Oh, I mean, pretty much. It's just loud noises. Yeah. So but it it's cool. the occasion. It did what it needed to do. Exactly. So in that sense, it certainly fulfilled its job. So we got some news to start off with. We had the Screen Actors Guild Awards this past weekend, and the top award the outstanding performance by a cast went to trial the chicago seven which was it was it nominated against that's a great question i'm sure ma rainey's was in there i'm sure i hoped the five bloods was in there because that was also an ensemble piece i think it was actually because i believe chadwick boseman made history by being nominated as both a lead actor for something else and then another nomination for i believe it was this ensemble one all right outstanding performance by a cast defy bloods Rainey's, uh minari one night in miami and trial of chicago seven yeah that makes sense do you feel good about trial of chicago seven winning we talked a lot about the writing of it but what about the acting the ensemble do you feel it was well deserved no. No. <laughs> I'm going to go with no, yeah. I'm going to go with no. I really liked the ensemble and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I like the way that they work together as a group. I, I, really good. I would disagree with that. I feel like the most shining moments were some of the monologues that went down, both from Chadwick Boseman and then also Viola Davis when she was just talking to that one other character. Those seem to be the shining moments of the of the cast, uh, and they weren't as built around group interactions and dynamics like Try the Chicago 7 was, which, as we know from Sorkin, man's all about the banter, all about having these very witty exchanges going on between people. So it allows the actors to have a lot of interaction with each other and play off each other really well. So in that sense, I think... I would put Trial of Chicago 7 over Ma Rainey's, but I would also, if there was anyone that would have taken it, I would have put my money on One Night in Miami, because that, I felt, had four key actors, and they were all really phenomenal. 
So the fact that Trowel won out over them, I'm a bit surprised about. Okay, well, I think I disagree with you. Just because I think the sh- like I think the monologues are great in Mario's Black Bottom, but to me the shining moments are like besides Chadwick's monologue at the end where he's going nuts, like just the band being in the basement, just back and forth talking about random things, talking about uh, like how young Chadwick Boseman is and Chad- Chadwick Boseman's shoes, just that whole banter between them is just so clever and so natural. Whereas I don't know when I watch. One night in Miami. It's not as natural as I'd like it to be. It's very much feels like it's a movie. Very much feels like a structure. Like I know it's based on a play as well. They're both based on plays, but I feel like Mari's Black Bottom would work better as a play than One Night in Miami would. Gotcha. Or maybe I would just I would like Mari's Black Bottom more than One Night in Miami as plays. Huh. And when you're in a play, the biggest element of it is that ensemble. Because that's what you're watching, is these actors acting for hours, just just them. And like, there's lighting, there's set, there's things like that, but acting really gets brought out on the stage, because it's you and them. So I think Ma Rainey works stronger that way, as an ensemble. Gotcha. Well, the actors of Ma Rainey still... Got some love at the SAG Awards. They got, well, Viola Davis won for Best Actress, and then Chadwick Boseman won for Best Actor. So they definitely got recognized there. And Viola Davis's win is most interesting because now we have another contender leading into the Oscars. We know Andre Day won for that Best Actress category in the Golden Globes, in some of the other awards that have come out recently, it was Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, and now the SAG Award goes to Viola Davis, and that's typically the biggest predictor, although there's usually not a big difference between what the Golden Globe select and the SAG Award select, but now we have a bunch of different people that have been awarded going into the Oscars. So it seems like it's anyone game, anyone's game. And Francis McDormand, remember, is still a big contender as well. So mm-hmm. that category. And also best performance by a female actor in a supporting role. Because this time at the SAG Awards, it went to Yoo Jung Yoon for Minari. And at the Golden Globes, it went to Jodie Foster for the Mauritanian. And she's not even nominated for an Oscar this time. So that's really also thrown up in the air. Who knows who's going to take home either of those trophies but it seems clear at this point that chadwick boseman and daniel kaluuya are going to win best actor in a leading role and best actor in supporting role respectively based on everything leading up to that unless there's a major upset gonna happen right doesn't seem likely at this point yeah because they've been cleaning up all the awards at the respective or yeah all the awards at the respective ceremonies recently Jared Leto was nominated again? Really? Oh, I did see something about that, because he wore, uh, like, a pink suit and then had a ribbon tied around his neck as a joker or something like that. Disgusting. Yeah, it makes sense that (laughs) I guess he got nominated again. Weird. Very Good for him. He's not going to be at the Oscars, though. Good. He wasn't able to, to pull that off. 
<laughs> that's nice. Not a good performance, but all right. I guess I guess you can nominate him for a SAG. I won't be too upset. Anyway, Netflix and Ryan Johnson have penned out a Knives Out deal for two more Knives Out movies. Daniel Craig appearing in both, and Netflix paid out four hundred million dollars. My God. Yeah, that's insane. I don't know where. Like, is some of that going to the budget? Is that them paying for the rights, but then also funding the films at the same time? Because if not, if that's just 400 going into Ryan Johnson and his fellow producers' pockets, that's nuts. I mean, that's insane. So we can look forward to to more Knives Out films down the road. I think you and I both are not too fond of that film. No, it's not good. There are a lot of people that enjoy it, and I mean, good for them. I was not really one of them. It had me in the beginning, and then as we got closer and closer to the end, it lost me. Yeah. Yeah, once once that, I don't want to spoil it, but once that twist came around halfway through, I was less interested, and then it got worse and worse. Right. The donut within a donut within a donut. That's what lost me. And also the fact that his tie was tucked into his button up <laughs> for no reason. That was very, very strange. People usually do that when they're, like, cooking or something. Because that's how you keep your tie from, like, dipping into sauces and whatnot. So I don't know why he why he would choose that as, like, a fashion option. But No clue. It is what it is. <laughs> Looking forward to more of those odd choices in the sequels. Yeah. Anyway, it's been two weeks since we talked about the Snyder Cut. And the Snyder Cut came out, and Warner Bros. has cut our dreams again by canceling Ava DuVernay's New Gods movie and James Wan's The Trench Horror spinoff from Aquaman thing. (laughs) Good, solid reading there. Yeah, so The Trench was supposed to be a horror spinoff from Aquaman from that one scene where they dive down into the ocean and there was those scary monsters that were trying to take them down, which Mm -hmm. very bold of them to, I mean, yes, that was an adored part of the film, but very bold of them to be like, you know what? those five minutes in that film let's make a whole spin-off based on that yeah i remember not liking the idea when they they announced it and thinking wow they're really gonna go for anything just try to make money <laughs> off of anything possible. for real instead of give us adaptations from the comics that we care about really crazy yeah but if anyone should direct a horror superhero movie it should be james wan i guess that's true he wouldn't even have been directing it though he just would have been a producing role well, that he helps get it off the ground and then pass it off to someone else. So yeah, on all fronts, it seems like this very blatant cash grab that wasn't even going to be too interesting anyway without James Wan in the full creative chair. So that I always suspected wasn't going to come to fruition. But the real sad part here is Ava DuVernay's New Gods. That was supposed to, I mean, that would have been really cool. Because that's dealing with the dark side peeps and all those sort of cosmic figures. And now we don't get it. I mean, it's not completely off the table, but at least right now, in a movie form, in the near future, it is not going to come about. Oh, well. Besides DC disappointments, we have some Marvel good news this week. We got another Black Widow trailer which I have not seen. Have you seen it, Ryan? 
You didn't see it? Yeah, I watched it. I was like, why not? There's just been so much about Black Widow that I just don't really care to see another trailer. I just I just want to see the movie and then end it. It's been too long. <laughs> There's not anything new or like any crazy things that they bring up in it. Mm-hmm. But there is a really cool transition. So I think you should watch it just for that. Okay. I don't want to spoil it, but it's, I mean, it's not, like, it's just for the trailer. Is that sort of transition. It's not going to be in the film. But when I saw that, I was like, mm, that was good. That made watching it worth it. And I okay. am excited to finally get to see that movie. Yeah, tell me about it. Waiting way too long. I wasn't even hyped up initially. And now it's just gone less and less and less. They should just let us have it. Just either put it in theaters, put it on Disney Plus. Doesn't matter if it makes money. Doesn't matter. Disney has enough money. Just give it to us. We've Not waited sure. long enough. But you know they just need more. They always need more. So July, we'll finally get it. Bastard Mickey Mouse. <laughs> anyway, we also got a trailer for Space Jam Two. Uh, I saw that one. And what Crazy. did you think? Ah, so many Easter eggs. They had the Game of Thrones dragon. They had the Mystery Machine. I saw people spotted out uh, the Penguin from the original Batman animated, or the Batman television show with Adam West and also Danny DeVito's Penguin (laughs) in the crowd. It's like, the way Fernando described it, he said, if you've ever seen Ready Player One, it's like that, but for Warner Brothers properties. Which is even more accurate because ready player one is warner brothers properties crazy so it's just them doing the same thing again you know why because iron giant was heavily featured in that ready player one oh, yeah. film and then yeah there's this big shot iron of giant, giant comes back again yeah. yeah running in this film so the iron giant continues to live for real just in a bunch of other properties being remade but so yeah let me die overall this looks exactly how you'd expect it would be. So, if you were a fan of the first Space Jam, this looks like it's going to be more of that, but with the man LeBron James this time. So, I think it should be fun. I enjoyed it. And also the theme, Come on and slam if you want a jam. That's still so good. That yeah. is a certified bop. Okay. It's an interesting opinion from you. Why did you say that as if you were? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I agree. But I learned something new about you today, Ryan. Are you anyway, our... that that doesn't get you amped? That doesn't make you want to slam? As you're welcomed to the jam? No. <laughs> anyway, we have our box office breakdown for April 2nd and the 4th. Coming in first place, Godzilla vs. Kong, as we correctly predicted, hauled in $32.2 million over the weekend and 48.5 overall since it was dropped on a Thursday. Wednesday? Thursday? It was a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I went on a Wednesday, obviously. So yeah, over the weekend itself it made 32 and over the five days it made 48 Biggest opening for the pandemic era. Woot. We're coming back. Bouncing back. Theaters are still living i guess it, it didn't do as horrible as you would think it would like 32.2 million compared to like how some big bigger products might launch like marvel movies because godzilla king of monsters when it released in 2019 its three-day opening was 47.8 so 
It's not doing too bad. It's 15 million shy. 15 million is some change. It's for pandemic areas. Great. Right. That's, I mean, that is spectacular. Again, in the five days, which, I mean, Wednesday and Thursday aren't when most people go anyhow. So the fact that there was that much money mm-hmm. during those days that allowed it to, across the five days, surpass Godzilla King of Monsters' three day opening. I mean, that showcases how, number one, this film itself is just something that sparked a lot of interest in the fans. People mm-hmm. have been waiting. I mean, it, we all knew it was coming since, what, 2014 or 15, whenever they announced the Skull, Col- uh, what? Kong Skull Island movie. That's the name. Once they announced that, we knew this was in the works. And finally, it has come upon us. And despite it being in the pandemic era, and despite it being available on HBO Max, where people could have just watched it at home, people went out to the theaters and they said, let's see this on the big screen with the surround sound, with some other people in the audience, because that's what it deserves. So a great Titan-sized, in a pandemic, uh, gross for this film. 32. I mean, we said it would break the 20 mil barrier. And it got. I said it would get close to 30, you know. Far past it. I've been pretty accurate with my guesses. But anyway, in second place, with one tenth the amount of money as Godzilla vs. Kong made, is a movie I've never heard of. The Unholy, (laughs) starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan, made 3.2 million. It is apparently a horror flick. That I know nothing about, Ryan. It is, in fact, a horror flick. I appreciate your quick maths to do one-tenth of Godzilla v. Kong's. <laughs> you gotta use that major somehow. Um, and yeah, I know it only because there were trailers that would come up on YouTube. And it's just some random horror film that stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And they released it during the Holy Week because they said that'll that's what people want to see. And... At least some of them did. 3.2 million. So it landed itself in second place, just ahead of last week's number one, Nobody, which had 3.1 million this time around. Still holding pretty strong for uh, uh, what B action movie with Bob Odenkirk, who most people don't really know other than from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And now he's an action star. And I guess it's got cool action. I mean, it's still a pretty strong hold to be in third place. Especially considering Ray and the Last Dragon. I mean, it's been a while. It's been out for a while. But it's still a Disney movie, you know? It's true. It's in its fifth week, and it got $2.1 million. So, again, it's still hanging on in there, but certainly not as impressive as what we would have expected from a Disney film. Its total domestic haul right now is $32 million. So Godzilla vs. Kong has surpassed that immediately so you know warner brothers is happy about that and disney is not not happy at all Mm -hmm. and right behind ray and the last dragon is tom and jerry still holding on in fifth place with 1.4 million though we think this week it will most likely drop off of our top five unfortunately but it had a strong hold it did a really bad movie (laughs) which you haven't seen you can't say it you're right, you're right. I gotta get out of the habit of calling movies I haven't seen bad, but I mean, I did see the trailer, and that was like two minutes long. It's a two-hour movie, so I've seen 
what one one hundredth of the movie. <laughs> so one one hundredth of that movie is bad. Right. Even the fractions today. Did you Somebody do math? Did you have class earlier? Yeah, I had math modeling, but I didn't pay attention. Oh, but I had advanced calc, and I did pay attention. Okay, well, that's good. One half is what you paid attention to. Good exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we have, for our box office predictions for next week, Godzilla vs. Kong. What type of hold do you think it'll have, Dylan, for its second weekend? The problem is movies usually drop as time goes on, of course, naturally. But at the same time, more and more people are getting vaccinated, so more and more people are willing to go to the theaters who weren't willing to go last week. So in terms of the net people who are going to go see this movie, uh, I think it's going to still drop because I think I don't think that many people are still willing to go compared to last week. But I don't think it's going to drop as much as it would had there not been a pandemic, just because there are more people willing to go. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say 27 to 30 million. Really? Yes. That would be 25 very... to 30 million. I'm going to give myself some more wiggle room. Okay. <laughs> That'd be a very minuscule drop. So, yeah, typically we see in non-pandemic times, we see movies, especially big movies, get cut in half because a lot of anticipation makes people want to go the very first weekend mm -hmm. so i'm not sure how much of that applies to this film during the pandemic era as you mentioned if more people feel more comfortable because they're getting vaccinated and rates are going down of covid infections and they may want to go if they otherwise wouldn't have so it does seem like that can dampen the drop it's going to have if we remember from Raya and Tom and Jerry, I think either in their second or third week, they only mm -hmm. dropped, they lost a third of their gross from the previous weekend. Yeah. So I think Godzilla will probably be around that range because if it's mm -hmm. getting good word of mouth, where which we'll talk about that, our reception to it, but certainly I think most people agree this is a film that is benefited by seeing it in the theaters and having that experience. So that could drive people to go out to the theaters and catch it in the second weekend. So I think I think we will see it above 20 mil. I think you're very optimistic if you think it's going to remain 30 mil. Um, I am not going to be that optimistic. 25 think, to 30. Right. I think I'll go the lower end. We'll, I'll say 20 to 25 mil. Probably 24. 24 is, yeah my very optimistic guess well we'll just have to see there is a new entry this weekend called voyagers which is another movie i have heard nothing about <laughs> it stars lily rose depp and ty sheridan and colin farrell and you have described it here in our script as lord of the flies in space tell us about it ryan that is another film i've only seen because of certain trailers mm -hmm. and i mean that's what it looks like they're in space they're trying to get to another planet because ours is destroyed. And the Lily Rose Depp and Ty Sheridan people, they're the in-between colony, right? So they're the ones that aren't going to arrive on the planet, but they have to carry on with humanity in the meantime. But they don't want them getting up to nonsense or something like that. So they spike their waters with a blue toxin and it suppresses their pleasure and feelings. 
and they realize it and say, let's get off of this toxin. And then what you would imagine would ensue when a bunch of teenagers no longer are suppressed by a blue toxin happens. And I'm, I'm confident Colin Farrell is definitely going to get killed in that film. <laughs> They're definitely going to murder that man. But yeah, it doesn't look too good. But it is a film that's coming out. And at least, I don't know, for me, whatever Google algorithm they got for me, it's been showing up a lot of ads for it. So potentially that'll let people know that this is a film <laughs> since you had no clue. Um, but yeah, not expecting a big turnout for this. Three, four million, five million. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to gauge because it is in some major property, not something like Chaos Walking that has big stars attached that may drive it up. This is really just a concept film that would attract people, and it's sci-fi. So yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know for this crowd how to how to guess for it. So I'll say five mil as a nice mid-range estimate. I don't know if I can make too strong a guess just because there's so many factors here. Uh, Never heard of this movie and it doesn't sound good. And it's got stars that I feel like certain people would want to go see. Like I'm sure plenty of teenagers want to see Lily Rose Depp and Ty Sheridan together. There's probably some kind of romance element there. And I'm sure there's, Irish people that want to see Colin Farrell, <laughs> I guess. But it's also COVID times, and who wants to risk going to the theaters to watch Voyagers? Not me, that's who. So I don't know if I can venture a guess. I'll say no more than $5 million, like what you said. But it'll probably be in our top five next week, so we're going to be talking about it again. I'd love to see the demographics of the Irish population who goes to see this film. Mm-hmm. And then their reasons for doing so. It's just going to be a bunch of Irish teens looking for <laughs> romance. They're going to watch their countrymen die. <laughs> Probably in the first 20 minutes. I'm calling it. I'm not going to see the movie. But I swear, that role looks like he's going to get axed very early on. I'm going to watch Which, the trailer before next week so we can talk about it in depth. It's an, it is an interesting trailer. I'll give it that. Hmm. You'll see what I mean. I don't know if it's particularly good. But there's a particular theme that it's trying to drive home with it, and it's they really do hammer it home. Yeah, but at the same time, trailers these days are just getting really good no matter what the movie is. Like, I don't know what changed, but every time I watch a trailer, it looks interesting. Barry, Barry played Brokeback Mountain recently, and on the DVD before before the movie played, there was a trailer, and he hadn't seen it before, so he watched the trailer. <laughs> and, ah. Uh, the trailers from 2005 were bad. They're so bad. I, I don't know what changed in the trailer industry, but they got much better. That is good to hear. Most of the time, though, they do spoil too much. Although, I That's agree, true. for many of the bigger films now, they do a good job of balancing, giving us threads of the plot, and then also just enticing us with beautiful shots and fades to black with the Inception music you know what i'm talking about i think that was probably the very first trailer that led us to where we are now and speaking Mm -hmm. of trailers what a segue we're gonna start talking about the monsterverse and the very first film was 2014's godzilla and that has one of the best trailers ever i remember the very first time i saw it in 2013 i'm sure is when it came out Mm -hmm. and i was like this is the pinnacle 
of movie trailers. I want to see this movie so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was excited when I saw it, and then I never watched it. And I haven't seen, I didn't see Godzilla, the 2014 one, until two weeks ago. So I guess the trailer didn't hook me as much as 13-year-old you. That's crazy, because it definitely got me. And I went and saw it, and I haven't seen it since. (laughs) So we're going to have two different perspectives here. One is me with nostalgia slash no memory, and you with your current sort of perspectives and outlook and a fresh memory. So what did you think about it? I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I'm a fan of Gareth Edwards, even though I've only seen this and uh, Rogue One. But I think he did a good job. I had a good time. The special effects were cool. The monster fights were cool. Uh, this The human story was okay, which is, I guess, all I can ask for these days when it comes to MonsterVerse movies is at least an okay human story. Uh, Brian Cranston's in it, and you know me. I love me some Brian Cranston, always and forever. And he really owns the the crazy scientist kind of vibe for a good portion of his his role, because he's normal in the beginning, and then his wife dies, and then it's twenty years later, and he's just still hung up about it and crazy. But he's cool. Um, the the Godzilla looked good, but whatever the enemy monsters were. The Mutos. Mutos, thank you. Yeah, they were not my favorite. Not my favorite at all. I just thought they kind of looked stupid. (laughs) But that's okay. Vicious. I mean, I'm not going to complain too much because I'm really just here for Godzilla anyway. I mean, we're going to come back to bad-looking antagonists when we get to Godzilla King of Monsters, but that's a whole other problem. Yeah, the Mutos weren't the best. I didn't think they were the best villains either, just because they're we don't know what they are. They're not classic, you know. It's not Mothra, it's not Ghidorah, it's not Mechagodzilla, it's not Kong, it's not or some other ones, Rodan. It's not like the ones we know. It's just big bugs, and who cares about big bugs? We want Godzilla to fight the real monsters. And but I had a did. good time. The skydiving scene where. They have to parachute in when the, there's the red smoke trailing on them and they're coming down and Godzilla's there and it's like the silhouette of Godzilla as they parachute into the destroyed city. Really cool. Really cool shot. Really like that. A plus. I 100% agree. The only, the few things I remember about the film are that skydiving scene, which was absolutely phenomenal. That was plastered all over the trailers and that's part of what hooked me. I was like, that is phenomenal. So I got to see it. Brian Cranston, everything about that man was phenomenal. Going to spoil it in case, I mean, yeah, this will be a spoiler talk for all these movies. So if you don't know what happens, run away now. But Brian Cranston dies <gasps> 30 minutes into this movie. So sad. Or something to that effect. And I was stunned. I hadn't even watched Breaking Bad at that time. But I knew I was like Breaking or Brian Cranston, phenomenal actor. I just want to see this man go through the whole film. I want to see him <laughs> lay it in on Godzilla, argue with that man, and then he died. I still remember the body bag thing mm-hmm. of them zipping it up, and it really sealed the deal. And I was like, well, now we have to follow the other humans in the story. That's not as interesting. 
but I still really enjoyed this film overall. There's been a lot of criticisms of it that dealt with the lack of Godzilla in the film. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think it worked really well, especially since this is this was their conscious effort at starting a monsterverse, which is why I think yeah. also they chose to do the Mutos, which are yeah, just imagined random bug creatures instead of any of the familiar other monsters that we know. And I think that decision and a decision to keep Godzilla minimal in the film worked in his favor because it was a lot more about this suspense, this fear that we have of this massive titanic monster uh, that we don't understand and we don't Mm -hmm. know what its purpose is, what it wants to do with us. And so having that and then in the end when we finally get to see him be good and he's on our side or at least he's just against the side of the Mutos that provides a real heft I think to the story Mm -hmm. it makes it much more powerful when we do get to see him and we do get to see the monster fight occur and then also it's the same principle with the atomic breath I don't know if that's what it's called but his blue the stuff he spits out his mouth that is sort of the the climax of this film is him utilizing that, which was amazing, by the way. When he opened up the Muto's jaw and just... Screamed into it. Right. Yeah. That was fantastic. Super cool. And again, it was only so powerful because that was the first time we really got to see it get used like that in this movie. So I think, on the whole, as the very first entry into the MonsterVerse, our first look at Godzilla, I think it was a really interesting choice to have him be used so sparingly, and I do think it made the film better. But I do know that was a lot of the criticisms they got afterwards, and so they rectified that in King of Monsters, which had so many kaijus, and Mm -hmm. we can talk about that in a bit, but I don't know if that worked in its favor. It may have been too overstuffed. Yeah, and another thing, one of the things that I have praise for for this Godzilla that I kind of have a criticism for for the other two Godzillas that we're going to talk about is in the 2014 Godzilla, he moves realistically slow because he's such a big creature and big creatures don't move fast. Like a creature that big is going to be slowed down because of his just his pure size. And we'll talk about it later, but in Godzilla versus Kong, he's hauling ass uh, <laughs> through through these these cities like ridiculously. And he got, fast. He's even bigger in the later movies. Yeah, and if if you like watch the the Godzilla that we're talking about, I mean, when he's moving slow, he looks more powerful because he seems bigger. Because big things move slow. So when you make the big thing move slow, it looks realistic and it makes me believe that he is big. When you take a CGI camera and you put it way up high and you make the creatures move fast, it looks like I'm watching two people move quickly, like normal sized creatures on like a miniature set instead of big creatures in the real world. And I like seeing big creatures fight, not regular creatures fight on tiny city. Gotcha. 
Yeah, I think that also aligns more with the overall approach. Is it was as realistic a take as you can get with a massive lizard with atomic breath. But yeah, it did seem to be more grounded in the 2014 one than in the later films. So I think that also gave it a heft when you're seeing him do these things. Mm-hmm. It feels more real. So that definitely, I think, worked in his favor with its particular monster fights and the few times we do get to see Godzilla in action. Yeah, and if you look at the four movies we're going to talk about, another thing that I, I want to criticize as they get more and more uh, present, they become a lot more campy and a lot more like fun, you know, adventure, bring the kids. Like if you watch the Brian Cranston Godzilla, it's pretty dark. It, it People die. There's not a lot of humor. There's a little bit of humor, but there's not a lot of humor. And then Kong Skull Island, it just becomes campy. And it becomes more campy with Godzilla King of Monsters. It becomes more campy with Godzilla versus Kong. And that's not really the intention that the original Japanese filmmakers have the original Godzilla from 1954. They wanted it to be scary, like monster, like dark. And uh, what's his name? I think it's Toshiro Honda. Let me look it up. Write this down. Tell me about it. <laughs> Ishiro Honda. Ishiro Honda directed a couple of the Godzillas and then decided to stop making Godzillas. And then the studio that had the rights over those Godzillas started making them campy and fun and lighthearted. And he was like, no, not correct. And so he came back and directed more, like like four or five more of them and made them dark again because they're supposed to be dark. It's uh, what, a hundred foot, 200 foot monster just stomping through a city and killing people, and you're going to make that campy and lighthearted and fun? No, thank you. Right. And it was, uh, I believe, originally supposed to be an allegory for the dangers of nuclear proliferation. Yes, 100%. So I believe that was more present in the 2014 Godzilla, where they mentioned the atomic bomb testing they were doing in the 50s they were trying to kill this Godzilla something like that and so there's at least a reference to the origins of Godzilla and the meaning that we're supposed to associate with him Mm -hmm. which is entirely disregarded in these later films where yeah my man is just decking through these cities um, and he's even framed in Godzilla vs. Kong like he is presented as the villain in that one and then towards the end we're like oh he's he's still chill he's still a good guy but my man still wrecks shop and we don't get any of the any of the added themes to go along with it so i agree in that sense they definitely decided as the monsterverse went on to Mm -hmm. just give us spoon feed us these epic monster fights without doing any attempt at relating deeper themes which in a way is good and then in another way not so great like i still think this godzilla one even though i haven't seen it in quite some time i think is still probably going to be my favorite in the series as an overall story Mm -hmm. 
But in terms of entertainment, Godzilla vs. Kong would take the cake, of course. But yeah, I understand that. When I'm looking at it just from a, a story view and how much emotional connection did I have at any point during the films, I think this one still will take the cake for it. I remember, I read a review of Godzilla vs. Kong recently. I don't know who wrote it, but they said um, after you leave watching Godzilla vs. Kong, you won't remember any of it. But when you're in there watching it, it's the only thing you can think of. Wow. And I wrote that, actually. True. Did you really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. But you know what? I agree with it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Anyway, after Godzilla was Kong Skull Island... You saw that, right? Yes, I did see all of them. I saw them all in okay, theaters okay. when they came out. I only saw Kong Skull Island and Godzilla vs. Kong in theaters. But I remember I liked the Peter Jackson King Kong, and so I wanted to see Kong Skull Island and see how it shaped out. And I wasn't horribly disappointed. I remember not being horribly disappointed. And then I rewatched it recently, and I was a little bit disappointed. I see. What? It didn't hold up to my memory of it. I guess the theater experience it made it better, but I don't know. Gotcha. So what are your best parts about it and the worst parts about it? Which it seems those worst parts became more clear to you during now, your recent viewing. In the script you put for best parts, Tree Spear, which I'm assuming references the opening introduction to King Kong where he throws a tree through a helicopter. That is correct. I would agree with you as being one of the best parts. Okay. incredible introduction to king kong just they're like it's like vietnam war movie having fun in war you know war's a good thing and they're like cranking out the old tunes and it's cool and they're like what's that and then over the horizon just a tree right through the helicopter and then everything slows down it's so cool great introduction that whole that whole helicopter fight where they're just getting slaughtered by king kong that's great i love I... that I agree, and that is the reason I put that tree spear there is that is the singular thing I remember from that film. The things that I think are the best about it is that is any moment where they're riffing off of Apocalypse Now with King Kong silhouetted against the big sun, that setting, and then you have the choppers coming in Mm -hmm. that are also silhouetted against it. Those are the images burned in my brain because they were the best. And I remember pretty much nothing else about this film. The image that's burned in my brain is when Samuel L. Jackson is finally going to take on Kong. And he like lights the, he like blows up a, a huge tree line. And he's standing and he's backlit by the fire. So there's huge roaring fire and Samuel L. Jackson's silhouette. And in the distance is Kong staring back. That is a great shot of, of them just looking at each other. Super cool. But uh, I remember really liking Samuel L. Jackson. He always gives a good performance, and he does so again this time. There's a lot about his character that I think is kind of stupid, but because it's Samuel L. Jackson, he pulls it off. Like, there's there's so many times where that character could have gone wrong and just been lame. But his delivery and his commitment to that part sold me on it, and I really like that character now. He's the crazy colonel that just like wants to kill Kong no matter what. I love it. Right. It's like it's it's got that um, Captain Ahab Moby Dick kind of vibe that like he just can't let it go. Gotcha. Yeah, hardly remember it. Sure, it was great though. <laughs> uh, 
it was good yeah i mean rewatching it recently is a little disappointing just because i had i did really like it when i first watched it when i left the theater and i don't know what has changed in the four years i've seen it but it was disappointing a bit i don't know i felt like the human story wasn't there as much as i remember it being the dialogue wasn't as good as i remember it being and it does feel very tropey on Vietnam War stuff. It falls on that sword a lot. A lot. A lot. Okay. So much. It might do it a lot, it seems like. A lot. But I love I love John C. Riley. I love the design of the natives on the island. I think they look really cool. And I really like when it's all of them and they're like uh, walking through the remains of Kong's family where the skull walkers are. And then like, what is it? They, the blue tear gas blows up and it's like green air with blue tear gas. And Tom Hiddleston is just like slicing bats with a sword with a gas mask on. And it's zooming in and out, like in that 300 shot from 300. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? He's slicing through the swords. Yes. Ah, that is a great shot. That's super cool. I really yeah. like that. To add one other positive thing for Kongsko Island, I do distinctly remember the costume for Tom Hiddleston. It was sort of Nathan Drake-like, so that's another thing going for it. Good costume. It's alright, yeah. I'll give it to you. Hey, it's memorable at least. It's one of the few things that have stuck with me over the four years. It's simple. That's true. But sometimes, simple can be best, which is the theory that Godzilla vs. Kong went off of sometimes, and Godzilla King of Monsters didn't really do, because I felt like the plotline in that one was quite muddled and nonsensical, and it was stuffed with a lot of monsters, so it did give us a lot of good monster fights, but overall, I felt like this one... I just did not enjoy it. I do distinctly remember coming out of the theater saying I did not like that nearly as much as the first one. I think Mason and I went to go see that. Because mm -hmm. him and I, with a group of friends, did see the first yeah. Godzilla one together. And then I think we went to see this and we were both very indifferent about the experience afterwards. So the best parts that I remember from it are just a couple of the beautiful shots, which are really beautiful. This does... They do a lot of glorious mm -hmm. shots of the monsters in each of the films. Like, that is a very strong point for the whole monster verse. Mm -hmm. And in this one, I think we get probably my favorites. We had the Mothra spreading her wings out in the waterfall mm -hmm. when she yeah. came out of the cocoon or whatever it was. And then we have Ghidorah doing essentially the same thing, standing on the mountain with the cross in the foreground. I just looked. So amazing. So those two shots burned into my brain. I think they're fantastic. What about you, though? Um, well, I, I watched it recently, and that was the first time I had seen it in building up to Godzilla vs. Kong. And I agree with you. I'm very indifferent. Um, there's something about the plot that I really don't like, and it's how the villains fall on it's another trope uh, where 
it's just like, you know, humanity is the virus and we have to kill it. Mm-hmm. I think that started with Kingsman, with Samuel L. Jackson, who also like delivered it greatly. So that's why it worked. But it has just been overused so much. And here it's just, it just comes out of the blue, comes out of nowhere. Like, it's like Kyle Chandler is looking for his wife and his daughter. And that's like the plot twist is they're a part of it. But, oh man. Just to see her just out of the blue, like a character we barely know. It's just like, yeah, I'm evil. I want people to die. I watch people die and I'm happy. Just very strange. The wife. Oh. You don't remember that she's on like the the Millie's the... Millie Bobby Brown's mother. Yeah, and Millie Bobby Brown is a part of it too. What? She's like she like agrees with her mother. She does. She's like yeah. She's like it's the only way. Humanity is going to be our downfall, and we have to set things back to the natural order by releasing these monsters. And then, <laughs> like, that's crazy. She actually did that. Why were we following her in Godzilla versus Kong? Well, she, she changed her that. mind halfway through King of Monsters because she oh. was like. Because what happens is Ghidorah, after they release Rodan, Ghidorah lets out a sound that unleashes all the monsters at once. And they're supposed to be doing it one at a time. Because if you release them all at once, it's too much at the same time. and People don't have enough time to escape or something. But if they do it one at a time, people have enough warning and maybe they're not killing as many people. I don't know. They're still killing people. And Millie <laughs> Bobby really Brown did. was like, this isn't what we agreed on. We're supposed to do one at a time. This is crazy. What am I doing? Like She snaps out of it. And so she steals the, it's called the Orca. And it's, it's the, it's, it's the machine that emits the sound that releases the monsters. And she steals that device. And then she takes it to, a, what is it, Wrigley Field, I think? No. No, not Wrigley Field, because that's Chicago. I'm talking about Boston. Boston. What's, what's the, what's the field in Boston? No clue. Whatever. She takes it to that field. And, she puts it on the loudspeaker and plays it. And so that attracts Ghidorah and Godzilla and Mothra and Rodan. And then they all fight together, which is a cool scene watching Ghidorah and Rodan versus Mothra and Godzilla. It's cool. I, I vibed with it, but my biggest flaw with the movie was that Ghidorah looked bad. He looked terrible. Oof. You Not say good. this, and I don't necessarily understand why. What did you expect from it? I mean, he looked as a flying, three-headed alien monster should look, no? There was just something off with the CGI, because when you look at Godzilla, and Godzilla gets up close in any of these movies, and you get a really good look at him, he looks phenomenal. He looks exactly how Godzilla should look in every single one of these movies, and I love it. And King Kong looks good, you know? Well, he just looks like a monkey. <laughs> and yeah. Mothra looks good, and like they've all looked good. But there's, like, a couple of shots where Ghidorah gets real close to the camera because, like, the characters are right next to Ghidorah for whatever reason, and it just doesn't work. It does not work for me. Something about it. I'm not a fan. I can't even put my finger on it, but I remember looking at it thinking, ew. Not Interesting. Good. It might fall into that uncanny valley kind of thing. Let me look up a picture so I can describe it more. But it might fall into that uncanny valley just a little bit. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, here's a picture I found of the cross with him spreading out those wings. 
in the it background on the good, volcano. Right? I mean, it looks that looks now. super cool. Yeah, I'll give you that one. But I don't know. I, I feel like they did Ghidorah a little dirty, not just design wise, but plot wise too. I mean, he's really barely in it. Well, they call it Godzilla, King of Monsters, not Ghidorah, King of Monsters. Yeah. I did like the end, though, when Godzilla finally wins, and then they all just bow to him. I think that's cool. I do remember that. That was an yeah. interesting scene, yeah. But yeah, the writing is really bad. <laughs> the performances are... I mean, I guess they're trying their best. I'm not going to knock on the performances too much. But yeah, the writing's just so bad. The writing's horrible. Agreed. It's horrible. And that carried over into Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, almost worse. Almost worse. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, it is. None of it just makes sense. The hollow. What? I mean, the hollow earth and the gravity coming up and down. The sun being in the we core were, of the earth. We what does were, that mean? We were sitting in the theater and they're in the hollow earth and we rented out the theater. So it was just a, our group of friends, and Lillian stood up and said, "How is there a sun?" <laughs> yeah. That was my exact thought as that happened. Is because I was wondering, I was like, "Ooh, how are they going to do the lighting thing? How are they going to do that CGA sky that I hate?" And they just put a sun in the background. Where is that coming from? It makes no sense. I think I think you know when uh, King Kong finally gets to that like big throne room, and there's light emitting from it sure i think that might be it it, but it can't be right like it can't emit that much light that's a sun's worth amount of light yeah that still waiting on how that one gets explained away but clearly the writing was never meant to be the strong suit or the attraction for this film it was the monster fighting which Mm -hmm. you went to go see in the theaters as you mentioned so how was that experience because i Watched it at home on HBO Max, so I can offer the the home theater experience, and you can oh. offer the true theater experience. I want to hear your opinion first. On just the experience of it, or the movie itself? The experience, watching it on HBO Max. So I watched it across, well, I guess it was one day, but I watched it as I did lunch, and then later in the day when I got back from class, I watched it the rest of it as I did dinner and I could definitely point out the moments where I wish I was in a theater like the smack the sucker punch that Kong delivers to Godzilla when they're on the aircraft carrier Mm -hmm. I was like that would have shaken the chair in the theater and it did nothing for me in my room so I there was a distinct feeling of that would have been so cool on the big screen or, Oh, that would have felt amazing if I had the surround sound encompassing me. But I also don't think that it harmed my enjoyment of these big CGI monsters throwing Mm -hmm. down. Yeah. Cause I mean, at a certain point it's just still fun and incredible to watch. So it didn't hurt too much, but I know for a fact. I mean, it would have been better in the theater. So you can gush about it. Yeah. 
I'm going to take a note from uh, Martin Scorsese and say that Godzilla vs. Kong is also uh, a theme park ride. It's in no way meant to be substantial. And I, I realized very quickly that just like Godzilla King of Monsters, I was going to be disappointed by the story. So I just stopped caring about the story. <laughs> and that made it much better to enjoy. And another part of it was that it was in the theater. And oh boy, what a movie to watch in the theater. Junkie XL score, the action that's going on, watching them beat the shit out of each other. It's so cool to watch in the theaters. It's so good. Uh, talk about peak monster fight cinema. Watching sure. watching Godzilla versus Kong beat down on each other over and over again will never get old to me. But man, that was a bad story. Man, uh, yeah, so bad. I will say, though, when Mecha Godzilla showed up, and I didn't know he was going to show up because I didn't really pay attention that close to the trailer. Apparently, people figured it out, but I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. So when Mecha Godzilla showed up, we all freaked out. It was so cool, so cool to experience. And then they released the Skullwalker, and he killed it in like two seconds when it took Kong like a full fifteen minutes. <laughs> so you know exactly how powerful he is. Oh. Yeah, that's it was, it was a good experience in the theaters. Dang. There was a lot of moments. My favorite shot, one of my favorite shots, when they're booting up Mechagodzilla for the second time to actually fight Godzilla, and you get a zoom in on Mechagodzilla really close, which already looks very good. Like, the CGI in this movie is done incredibly well. And the lights are flickering between red and blue, because you don't know if he's going to end up... Because it's like, blue is like, they have control and red isn't, because he's like, becoming what intelligent <laughs> he's becoming self-aware possibly so, like, have no that shot of the lights flipping back and forth is super cool yeah yeah that the fact that they took Ghidorah's head and they used that to power mechagodzilla is pretty stupid yeah it just made no sense the skull is providing what consciousness energy i mean yeah they uh-huh. said they said the necks were so long on Ghidorah that sending brainwave from one head to another would have taken too long via necks so they're telepathic (laughs) so they can just telepathically communicate between each head so they took one head and they put it in a big room with a bunch of cool purple lights for whatever reason and cool purple tubes and that's the control center and it can telepathically communicate with the skull that's inside mechagodzilla that they never even show and that's how mechagodzilla is being controlled Wow, and and I think the implication is that Ghidorah takes over Mechagodzilla, but I'm not sure if that's true because who's controlling it? Like you can't just say it loses control and then just goes crazy and becomes self-aware. There's no AI in it. It's completely it's completely under man's control, unless it's Ghidorah. Why would they put AI in a machine that a man is already controlling? That's idiotic. Yeah, that's one definitely one of those plot contrivances that they just threw together so that we could have a cool final act where Mechagodzilla has to take down Kong and Godzilla. Mm-hmm. So yeah, certainly a lot of nonsensical stuff in the in the thing. And the human story, though, they I think it was definitely a conscious decision to make it as minimal as possible. Just the bare bones of it, because everyone was really coming into this to see the throwdown, not to see these human stories. So I do like that they made an effort to 
just make it as quick and easy and digestible as possible. Like they really toned up the Marvel comedy, that sort of stuff with the conspiracy theorist crew, mm-hmm. which I kind of thought was funny. The dude having this conspiracy podcast, which Millie Bobby Brown listens to religiously for whatever reason. And then their plot line was ridiculous because I don't understand how Apex Industries, which has created a ship that can withstand entering the gravity reversal thing of Hollow Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somehow, I don't know how they <laughs> were able to do that. Mm-hmm. How much money that was to cost. But, oh, and they also have like these tunnels all throughout the Earth. Incredible stuff. But they can't pay for security, apparently. Because these people just walked in and out through the storage facilities. They somehow stumbled onto the the cage where they're holding Mechagodzilla and testing him by throwing the skull crawlers at him. Yeah. So that, man, a really dumb, stupid movie, but a fun one. So. And apparently Apex can't invest in waterproofing their computers. Oh my god, you're right. That The, the payoff to their whole plotline is that man saying, let me just spill these trickles of alcohol. It wasn't even that much. I don't know how it shorted out the whole thing. And also... Why did it short it out? I thought Mecha Godzilla was autonomous now. He was still getting controlled by the control center? They said he's powered by the satellite. So if we knock out the connection to the satellite, he won't be able to move. Oh, I see. And so by shorting a computer, <laughs> that destroyed the link between the satellite and the Mecha Godzilla. Of course, of course. Of course, of course, of course. And he tried to hack into the system with his knowledge, his vast knowledge of HTML. Oh. <laughs> really bad writing really bad and oh the payoff to where king kong is down and he's gonna die and they're like the only way we can jumpstart hard is if we have enough power to light up las vegas uh as soon as as soon as isaac gonzalez said it on the ship i was like they're gonna use that somewhere it's not just gonna be a quip that they put in there because they 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 can't just leave it like that they're gonna have to bring that back somehow and they're gonna do it in the worst way possible and they did yeah, the way they settled on his look to the, I forget, the Jane Goodall character, essentially the one who was trying to study mm-hmm. Kong. I think Rebecca Hall is the actress. Yes. Okay, yeah. So when he shared that look with Rebecca Hall, then looked at the ship, then looked back, and it was trying to be this mildly serious moment, I was like, I do not care about that character in particular. The Which one? The hollow earth scientist guy. Alexander Skarsgård? Yeah, I yeah, thought he I could was the worst character. For the whole time, I could not tell if he was a bad guy or a good guy. Because he seemed so determined to get into Hollow Earth no matter what, that you think that that would drive him to being a bad guy. Like, it would be, his determination would push him into questionable ethics, which it kind of does. But then he saves the day, and it's fun. And it, it's really just a nothing character, I don't know. It's I a agree. paycheck for Alexander Skarsgård. Yes. So, good for him. And also, Get Kyle Chandler got a paycheck for doing nothing in this movie. Oh my god, five scenes. Oh, dude, Lance Reddick. Lance Reddick, who is in two shots of the entire movie, and has, he's like credited like, what, seventh in the credits, and he's in two shots of the entire movie, and has one line of dialogue. Oof. I wonder how much <laughs> they paid him for that. 
Yeah, it's really insane. The way they could have just not had him in there and had just an extra do it and just cut out his line. He was in two shots. I can't believe it. Cannot believe it. Yeah, but the Kong crew, aside from Alexander Skarsgård's character, they also had something where in Hollow Earth, he threw a rock at the bird monster, which was so... I mean, what are you trying to do there, bud? And then the monster was about to kill him, but then Godzilla's atomic breath came through to save him. Well, thank God. I thank was God like, for that. Yeah, they wanted us to be like, oh, thank God. What a relief. He Can we talk spare. about how getting into Hollow Earth, there's a gravitational shift that is like crazy and wonky. And it's like a 2001 Space Odyssey moment, but when they're leaving Hollow Earth, they're just flying through a hole. Yeah. Like, what happened to that wonky 2001 Space Odyssey moment? It's just gone. It's gone. Yeah, That's I'm a... not too sure. I think they did. They were like, ooh, brace yourselves because we got to go back through that gravity barrier. But you're right. They didn't have the same 2001 Space Odyssey thing happen as they went through it. So I'm not sure. But I guess so. One thing that was interesting, we'll talk about the best character in a second, but one of the best moments which speaks to your theme park uh sort of mention there is when they did finally emerge from that hole when the ship came back out and then you fly right past kong who's hanging off the building in the classic way we know from the original 30s film Mm -hmm. and then goes through a building that's getting blasted by godzilla's atomic breath and it's like circling around it and then circles past godzilla's mouth that Mm -hmm. felt like it was ripped straight from an amusement park ride. Yes, which 100%. they definitely should. That would be fun. They should definitely just take that scene and then just make that a ride. I yeah, if you be. took like a Universal, they have, well, I guess Warner Bros. is in Universal, so that yeah, where would Warner Bros. even do a theme park ride? I guess you it would be at Universal. License Studios, it out. They'd have to, yeah, they'd have to license it out to Universal. Well, Universal has Kong, right? Yes. Yeah, so they could, yeah, they'd just be like, hey, let us use Godzilla for this. I guess. Yeah, that would be fun, though. I would enjoy that ride, yeah, but it would probably just be, I don't know, I feel like they'd mess it up somehow. I haven't been impressed by Universal's rides recently, but that's a whole other problem. Nothing to do with Godzilla versus Kong. Anyway, who's your favorite character? The little girl. I agree. I don't know what her name was, but she was definitely the best part. Her relationship with Kong which I will say one of the interesting and good writing choices that they had in this was mm-hmm. to frame it from the perspective of Kong uh, and then by and then rooting it in this relationship with that young girl. And so it definitely humanizes him and makes us care about these monsters. So we're at least somewhat invested in what's going on with them and their stories and Kong trying to go back home and seeing if any of his family's there, which for now, they're not. But if we continue the MonsterVerse, I'm sure we might see some more Kongs spring up. But I thought that particular choice was very good. So yeah, I thought that was one of the better writing choices they made to frame it from Kong's perspective. And that relationship with the girl, which we had a nice payoff with, and not only him showing that he learned sign language, which is also, wasn't that one of the stupid things, though, where they were all surprised that he learned sign language? Isn't that man 
monitored in a enclosure. Thank you. Yes, you think someone would notice? Oh, like, how did they just not? One hundred employees constantly watching him. Yeah, that made no sense. But it made for a cute little moment where we're like, "Oh my god, he can speak. He can communicate with the girl. That's amazing." And then later, pays off when she goes, "He's not your enemy. Godzilla is not. Mega Godzilla is." And she goes, "Be careful," while crying. Mm-hmm. Great acting from the little girl. Great little moment. Actually added some emotional heft to the film. Some heart. So that for me, yeah, was probably the highlight. What was your worst parts? The worst parts? I mean, I feel like we've already touched on a lot of them. Yeah, there a were a the lot. stupid decisions. I think, so... The framing choice of having Kong in sort of the protagonist role by necessity sort of makes Godzilla in the antagonist role. And we come to find out that the man was doing it because he could sense, I don't know if he was sensing Ghidorah or just sensing Mecha Godzilla being built. I don't know exactly how he's sensing that. But Mm -hmm. apparently that was torquing him out because he wanted to be the alpha. So, okay, fair. But then he attacks cities in Rex, I forget how much damage he did, but he certainly killed like whoever was working at Apex mm-hmm. Industries and wasn't in on the scheme of Mecha Godzilla. The, all those innocents got wiped out, and then Hong Kong got obliterated in this film. I mean, just absolutely destroyed. Yeah. So that stuff I felt was weird because Godzilla did that just because he was just trying to remain the alpha and so i don't know it's still seems i mean that's just unforgivable in a way i mean it's really destroyed cities just so he could stay the top dog and we want him to stay the top dog but still to be fair that is also the reason he destroyed the other cities in the other movies yeah i was thinking about that to be fair is he in the first movie he's fighting the mutos and he is really just destroying towns and and just like wrecking the place up and i think it's purely coincidental that we don't see him actively kill people like 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 ooh, look at that godzilla's a good guy because he's not actually hurting people but really he definitely is like he's stomping on buildings and stuff so obviously somebody's dying from his actions same with godzilla in king of monsters but because he's stopping the monsters who are just attacking the humans for no reason he's still the hero but in the beginning of godzilla versus kong we don't know why he's attacking so he's framed as the villain now and now you know, you see the the headline in the news article: "Hero turned, uh, what's villain or something?" Right. Like he because he's attacking the humans now for no reason in Pensacola, Florida. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting way to frame it. I guess they had to make somebody the bad guy and somebody the good guy. In a way, it's true. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just felt like towards the end they tried to absolve him of his actions there but it was still a bad reason to try to take down everyone Mm -hmm. Uh, but let's talk about the actual fight so who did you have going in who did you want to win godzilla you had gojira gojira how come you only watched kong in theaters you didn't watch those other two godzilla films so what this is this is true but godzilla is the king of monsters he has to win okay but kong is king kong you know what you know what (laughs) did you ever think about that Hmm. Hmm. 
Hmm. You got me there, Ryan. Nice. <laughs> so Godzilla. <laughs> were you on were you on King Kong's team? Were you team I King Kong? I wasn't. I was on Godzilla's team because <laughs> I <laughs> because I remembered at least the first Godzilla movie. So out of familiarity, I was on Godzilla's side. But during the movie, I was leaning more towards Kong side because they framed him as a protagonist. Mm. I was still wondering, okay, what is driving Godzilla's actions? Because when he attacked him on the boat, like that was just, Godzilla did that because he wanted to do that. There was no reason to attack King Kong. Well, I think in the beginning, don't they show like in the opening credits, it's like a bunch of shots of like all the monsters are dead because Godzilla challenged them all and that's why he's the king. Because like there's no other monsters showing up. So I think in the opening credits, they're like, Godzilla's the king. He killed them all. They're all dead, and the only one that's still alive is Kong. Because he's horrible. stuck on an island. Why is he a good guy, then? He made them all bow at the end of King of Monsters, and then he said, thank you for recognizing me as your king. Now let me kill you. <laughs> Die. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it really does rewrite Godzilla's kind of a bad guy, but it's I'm still pretty glad he won. Just because I don't know what it would look like for King Kong to win, but it wouldn't look as cool. Okay. The whole sh- the shot of Kong just like defeated and they're just screaming at each other. Awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. And I also think it just made it made more sense for Godzilla to win be- mm-hmm. because I mean because we've seen this growth, right? He had the like baby atomic breath in the first Godzilla and then in King of Monsters the man is hyped up on some radioactive steroids. <laughs> absolutely obliterating people with his radio active breath that time so it made sense that he who beat Ghidorah and then made all these other monsters submit to him would ultimately come out on top against Kong who only really has fought those skull crawlers and had trouble with it he also in this film was about to get choked out by that viper looking thing Mm -hmm. he needed the human's assistance to get him out of that so it seems so i was guessing because of those things that godzilla would come out on top and that would make more sense so yeah and i also think it was interesting that they did give us a real victor i mean godzilla did beat kong and then we got to see that contrived revival which was interesting i don't know if we needed that i don't know why um but that also doesn't reflect well on Godzilla because Kong would have died. That man was KO'd. His heart beating, or his heartbeat was slowing down. It was about to cease. He would have died. Godzilla was really about to kill that man. I really thought he would die. Like, they teased it as one will fall. Like, there's definitely going to be a clear winner. I thought that meant one of them's going to die. Like, that's an indisputable win. No, that'd be very bold if they actually in finality killed one of the I think if monsters. you just pitted them both as protagonists it'd be like a WWE match you know they're both the protagonists but everyone has their personal preference based on the movies and one of them's the winner you know well, that would have been interesting to push back on that most WWE they have the heel in the face so yeah yeah, the good yeah. Guy and bad guy and and this one Kong was our face Godzilla was the heel yet he triumphed but they did they did sort of balance it out by having Kong defeat Mecha Godzilla, which that was fun because I knew I was like there has to be some way that they make them team up 
Yeah. In any big versus movie. I mean, we saw that obviously with Batman versus Superman, things like that. It's It's got to happen where they some bigger force makes them team up. Did and... I send you the, I think I sent it for Nana. Did I send you the joke I saw online where it's the shot where they're screaming at each other? And King Kong says, save Mothra. And Godzilla's like, why did you say that name? <laughs> no, I did not see that. That's, That's good, though. Yeah. Mothra, why did you say that name? Yeah, that would have been really interesting. But where is it going that? What happened? Oh, they balanced it out by having Kong defeat Mecha Godzilla after they teamed up. And then they had Godzilla supercharge Kong's axe. So that was super cool. But if you really look at it, I mean, Kong was really the guy who took down Mechagodzilla after he absolutely destroyed Godzilla. I mean, that man was manhandling him like crazy. One of the best shots was him smashing Godzilla's face into each skyscraper. <laughs> yeah. That was just beautiful. It was very funny. I think Nick put it best after he watched the movie. He said, um, what did he say? He said, Kong beats Mechagodzilla, Mechagodzilla beats Godzilla, Godzilla beats Kong. Like rock, paper, scissors. Wow, look at that. Which is also pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine? Like, I guess he had help from Godzilla to beat Mechagodzilla because he supercharged the axe, but still, I mean, how much more powerful could that axe have been? He still it was just, it's still a physical object that you're just hacking with. Like, he probably could have gotten a couple of good shots in, especially since. You know, Brian Tyree Henry spilled his drink in there and cut the satellite That's true. link. He got the human assist in there as well. So it was a team effort. They mm-hmm. all were actually able to bring Mecha Godzilla down. But yep. after that happened, we see, we were wondering, ooh, is Kong and Godzilla are going to start fighting again? And they didn't. He dropped the axe. They looked at each other, I guess, out of respect. And then they said, all right, peace out. I'm yeah. sad they didn't shake hands and they didn't make out in the end. Who, uh, who let that happen? They were really close and they're screaming at each other. You know, they could have really just gone into it. You're right. They should have done it. The yeah. Ben Solo Ray finale to Star Wars. <laughs> they just kiss in the end out of nowhere. Yeah. All right. Well, rank you of the four movies we just talked about, rank them. So from least favorite <laughs> to favorite. Again, based on my incomplete memory, I'm still going to put Godzilla 2014 at the top. And then mm-hmm. I will put Godzilla versus Kong. Very fresh. But, I mean, if you just... It's so good when it delivers on the monster fights. Yeah. Which is really the true reason you're going in there to watch it. Exactly. So they did that extremely well. And I thought it was a balanced fight, too. I mean, you had each of them having the upper hands at certain points. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really like anyone's game at any point, and that's what made it so interesting. Is anybody could have won, and I have I had no idea who would win. Exactly. So I the thought stakes that would, were there. Yeah, it was really effective. So I would probably put that second. Then <laughs> I really just don't remember these movies, but I'll probably put Kong because I distinctly remember feeling disappointed, or at least just not feeling as good coming out of Godzilla King of Monsters as they did Mm -hmm. the original Godzilla. I had that other thing to compare and had expectations going in. So I think Skull Island comes in third and King of Monsters comes in fourth. I am going to rank it the exact same way. Well, look at that. 
for We've the same agreed. reasons. <laughs> yes, the exact same reasons, pretty much. I mean, just I just had a very good time watching the first Godzilla. There were just many. It just kept like watching. It, I was just like, "This is good. This is really good. <laughs> this is getting a lot better. Look at this." Because I don't know, I have a bad habit where I go on IMDb and I look at the rankings of movies before I go watch the movie, and in a little way that does influence uh, what I think about the movie before I go in, which is a bad thing, but it's true. I do it, and it's rated okay. It's got a 62 Metascore, which isn't the greatest, but it's still in the green, still in the good. So I was like, it's probably all right. And I walked in and I was like, Oof, this is this is not what I thought it would be. I'm enjoying myself. I'm having a good time. I'm liking it. It's good. It's fun. Good. Look at that. So Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong. Good movies. Should check them out. The, for probably differing reasons, though, if you really want the mm-hmm. monster fights. Godzilla versus Kong is your destination. Absolutely. Real quick though, do you think we're getting more in the MonsterVerse based on uh, the box office performance? I don't it even know, man. Seems like this is making a lot of good news for Warner Brothers and for HBO Max here. So, do you think that there is potentially another movie in the near future featuring either or both Godzilla and Kong? Godzilla versus Kong 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I don't know if they should do another one, but I know they could do another one because you can do anything these days. If the writing was that bad in Godzilla King of Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong, they could just whip something up that's completely nonsensical and just say, hey, Ghidorah's back, and it's Godzilla and Kong versus Ghidorah. Like, they could do anything they wanted to do. And there's so many other monsters they haven't even tapped into that they could bring out but i don't know i don't know if i'd want to see another one i kind of like it ending with godzilla versus kong it's a good godzilla trilogy with skull island being thrown in there just to set up kong i'm i'm satisfied with the four movies as it is i don't need another one unless it's oh if it was just monster fights and no human story (laughs) that'd be pretty cool i could get into that yeah i think this does have a nice fitting end to the MonsterVerse series. Kong finally ending up in Hollow Earth. It's a bigger home for him. He's happy. Godzilla's the undisputed champ of the monsters, so he's happy. We have closure. So in that respect, I would like this to chill out. But also, CGI keeps getting better, man. And wouldn't this it be awesome true. to see these? I mean, a few years down the line, just see another bout of these monsters going at it. It doesn't even have to be them against each other. I mean, I, I would be perfectly content with just like reboots of Godzilla versus Kong every twenty years, just to like as being like the benchmark of where CGI is at any given <laughs> point in time. Just like let's see how good we can make it because it was pretty good CGI for for now, like. I guess I can't imagine it getting any better, but that's kind of what I said 10 years ago, and it's gotten better. So clearly they're going to see something new, new technology, make it even better, and it could be even more awesome and more realistic. And I would like to see that movie. So in 20 years, if they want to reboot it, I'll, I'll never say no to, to MonsterVerse reboots, because you can just keep making them. You can just keep rebooting them. And uh, okay. it's just the monster fights. It's not like you're like, trying to sell me on the same human story over and over again you're selling me on it's like it's, it's like wwe i mean 
you watch it over and over again even though it's fake and like they predict the outcome but it's just entertaining even if it's even sometimes the same thing over and over again still fun exactly let's get into the movie of the week for this week which is the 2005 king kong directed by my homeboy p jacks peter jackson that's your dog right there yeah my home slice oof i did a i did a project on him in middle school with brendan we just like talked about uh where he had been and where he'd gone where did he come from where did he go (laughs) we just talked about peter jackson so i know a lot about him uh i watched we looked up like a bunch of pictures of him so we watched his development into gaining weight and then losing it again so that was interesting but it was directed by peter jackson it was written by jackson his wife fran walsh and uh someone named philippa boyens i don't know who she is it's starring Naomi Watts, Jack Black, Adrian Brody, Colin Hanks, Andy Serkis, of course, Jamie Bell, and Kyle Chandler, who was in the last two Godzilla movies. Look at that. Kyle that's Chandler, cool. once again, has a slightly smaller role. But that's okay, because it's supposed to be a smaller role. It is a whopping three hours. Can you believe that? Three hours for King Kong. I guess. And, is that because they... So I did it with Lord of the Rings, and those were all long. So he was like, you know what? Let him have the three hours. Yeah, I guess. It's just so rare to see three-hour movies these days. And, I mean, it worked. It's an amazing movie. And it, the I just watched it. I watched it yesterday and today because I had to split it up. And what I noticed the most is that it really adheres to a strong three-act structure very well. Really strong because it's like an hour of them before they get to an island, an hour of them on the island an hour of them back in New York, which isn't too much of a spoiler for those of you who haven't seen it because it is a complete remake of the original King Kong. It's the same character names. It's the same story pretty much just told in three hours with better technology and uh, it's cooler. It's darker. Uh, people really die, die in it, which is super cool. So, I really enjoyed this movie the first time I watched it, which was maybe two or three years. No, had to be around 2017, because that's when maybe we want to see Godzilla. So like five years ago. I watched it five years ago. Really liked it then, and I thought it was super scary, because I watched it when I was young. Like 14, 15, I was like, ooh, scary, scary stuff. And I watched it again today and yesterday, and it's still pretty damn scary. Like, Peter Jackson goes hard on just trying to terrify you with some of the elements of this island. And Fernando put it really well, once again, because he watched me watching it, and he was like, wow, this movie is just one thing after another. And it is one thing after another. I mean, oh my God. They're in one problem, and it just leads to another problem, and the first problem still isn't solved, so it just like snowballs into one bigger problem, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's crazy. But it is fantastic. Uh, Jack Black is really good in it, which is strange. I mean, he's a great actor. I think it's strange just because he was like my childhood hero, you know, School of Rock. It's weird to see him do serious things. School Uh of Rock, Nacho Libre. It's so weird for him to be in like a serious role. So like watching this or watching Bernie is strange, but he's very good. He's a very good actor. He's very good in this movie. Adrian Brody, I think he's good, but he's really just like the leading man. But they do make the leading man take a back seat at the very least for Naomi Watts who she's the heart of the story. She's the beauty that kills the beast. And she's so good. She's so good in this movie. They they did away with the weird creepiness of Godzilla being obsessed with her because she's sexy from the original movie. 
because that was mm-hmm. kind of strange. Right. And they made it they made it more like a childlike fascination with with uh, Naomi Watts because Naomi Watts is like a vaudeville actor, and so she can like do like juggling and f- like flips and stuff. And it, like Kong thinks that's cool, and he likes her because he's just curious about her. So it's more, it's less romantic. It's which wholesome. is good. It's wholesome. It's it's much more wholesome. It's like a friendship, which is nice, fresh to see. And so she really gets uh, a strong role in this movie. There's a couple of weird side plots going on that I don't care too much for, but it's just to add more heart, I guess, which is all right. But the CGI for 2005 was pretty good. It was pretty damn good. Like watching The Great Gatsby with with um, Leo DiCaprio when they go through, you know, the scene where they go through like Times Square in New York and it's like 1920s and it looks super good. Mm-hmm. It does look good in that movie, but for some reason it looks better in king kong because it's also supposed to be like the 1920s 1930s and i don't know what they did but i mean the set design the cgi for the backgrounds of the sets sells it sells it so hard <laughs> such a good job of designing that antique new york style and also the island have you ever you've been to universal the islands of adventure now that they put in kong right yeah so you know that big wall they have that you drive into pretty much yes it's from this King Kong and oh the wall looks so cool in 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 this movie. It is huge. It is awesome. King Kong what I found interesting about this King Kong was that he actually looks like a gorilla. You'd be surprised when you look at like uh Godzilla or I'm sorry, not Godzilla, King Kong in um Kong Skull Island and Godzilla versus Kong. He really does look like a guy in a gorilla suit, which I think is the intention. Wait, what? In the most recent movies, you think he looks like a like like his body structure, his like his body structure. He's built like a dude instead of a gorilla. Like gorilla has longer arms. Uh, they don't usually stand on two feet or walk around on two feet. Like in here, he just looks like a big gorilla. Like he's he's just like a twenty five foot tall gorilla, and that's the entire intention. But in like the new Kong, he just looks like a a a, a dude. He like he like stands up like a guy. Because it's, it's all motion capture, I guess. It's very interesting. Yeah, he does do that a lot. There are some times where he's running on all fours. I guess. But but he really does look like a gorilla, just like a bro. <laughs> but uh, no, this King Kong's really good. It's three hours long, so it might take you a while to get through. It took me two days. But I recommend it. I think you'll have a good time with it. Go watch King Kong. All right, that's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxoffishow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. And next week we're going to be talking about Nomadland and Minari in anticipation for the Oscars, so make sure you come back and listen in on that. Have a great rest of your day. Mm-hmm.